Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Because if all you're doing is fasting, then you're dieting. You're not going to accomplish anything in the spirit or in the natural realm outside of you just shedding a few pounds, which is a good thing. But nonetheless, our purpose in fasting and prayer is not so that we can diet. It's not so that we can drop 15, 20 pounds in the month of January and start the year out with a, with, with a healthier body. Our fasting and our prayer or our time of fasting, rather, is to engage God with prayer, to engage God in this spiritual discipline called prayer and in the reading of the Word of God. We talked about it yesterday, how when you fast, God will actually remove that filter of the flesh that blocks you from accessing the revelation of the Word of God. There's many a times where you can read something over and over again, and it doesn't really click with your noggin, but then all of a sudden, you couple in fasting with prayer, and it's like the Word of God just comes alive to you. How many of you in the comment section can testify to that, that during this fast, it's like light bulbs have just been going off left, right, and center. Everything you've been reading, it's like you can write down three, four pages of notes just for one paragraph of Scripture. That is a benefit of fasting and prayer. So when we fast, we should be doing two things. We should be praying and we should be diving deep into the Word of God so as to fill up our Word bank so that we can make withdrawals any day, any time of the week when necessary. And so today, I'm going to talk about how you should pray when you fast. I have to make this very clear to people before we move on because I think that many have been religiously brainwashed into thinking uh, of prayer the same way a Muslim would think of prayer, that it's just a religious duty. We ought to do it uh, out of duty. We ought to do it out of discipline, and that's it. Whether God answers us or not, we don't know. We don't care. We just pray to pray. That is a very foolish thought, and it's not founded by any scripture. Scripture tells us many times, God in Jeremiah 33, 3, he says, call unto me, not so that we can chit-chat alone. Um, now, there are different types of prayers. There's the type of prayer of fellowship. There's a prayer of consecration. There's uh, the prayer of worship. There's the prayer of thanksgiving. There's all kinds of types of prayers. But today, I'm zoning in specifically on how to pray prayers that get results. Prayer that uh, guarantee 100% answers to those prayers. How to pray effectively so that it produces marvelous results in your life. And so to say that prayer is just some, uh, something we do as Christians aimlessly, not to expect anything in return, is very foolish. Jeremiah 33.3 3 says, You should call unto me, God speaking, and I will answer you. I will answer you, not I might answer you. Call unto me and I will answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things which you've never heard of or seen before. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that you should ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. He doesn't say ask and sometimes God will, will see it fit for you to receive. Other times he says just hold off. Sometimes you knock and the door opens. Sometimes the door is a little jammed. Sometimes you seek and you find. Other times you seek 
and you don't find, that's not, Jesus used definitive terms, certain terms, no cloudy areas. I can't stand when I hear people say that the Bible has gray areas. The Bible does not have any gray areas. The Bible is written in black and white and sometimes in red. God is not trying to make life more difficult or complex or complicated for you. God has made things clear in his word so that we can have definite instructions on how to do things so as to maximize abundant living in this life. Remember, Jesus said, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that you can have life and have it more abundantly. God is interested in giving you abundant life. And one of the ways we access that is through the access point of prayer. So I want to show you how you can have 100% answered prayers every single time you pray without fail. See, if you're praying just to pray, you don't care about results, just doing out of religious duty. It's the same as like going to a grocery store and you don't have a list and you don't have anything in mind. You're just roaming through the aisles and the shop clerk comes to you and says, hey, uh, brother, sister, can I help you with getting anything? You say, no, 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 I'm just here to walk. I'm just here to roam. But you're starving. You're starving. You're hungry. But you're just walking down aisle one, aisle two, aisle three. And you're just walking to look at the items on the shelf, but you're not actually reaching forth and taking anything for yourself. That is exactly what people do when they just pray to pray. We don't just pray to pray. We pray, James chapter 5. Let me read it actually. This is a great scripture to open up this broadcast. James chapter 5 and verse, let's do verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed any sins, it will be forgiven him. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So that tells you that prayer can bring physical healing. Some of you are believing God during this time of fasting and prayer for physical healing. You're, you're believing God for your body to be supernaturally quickened by God's spirit so that you can have the health and healing that you've been wanting, desiring. Prayer brings healing. Prayer can Make alive dead organs. I've seen prayer throughout my travels, praying for people, wither tumors out of people's bodies, just tumors withering away. I was just in Saskatchewan, and there was a lady who was layered with tumors all across her body. I think they were in her breast, and she had went to get, uh, get CAT scans, and, and there were evident tumors on the CAT scans that showed up. Well, she came for prayer on Tuesday night. We laid hands on her. We prayed the prayer of faith, believing that God would uphold his end of the covenant, which is to heal the sick. And as that happened, she went back, I think it was on Thursday, to get a CAT scan. And the CAT scan, the doctor brought out her brand new... Uh, the, the, the results that looked like she had brand new body. All the tumors had gone away. They had withered away. Just like Jesus cursed the fig tree and it withered up at the root, we cursed those tumors and they withered up at the root. He, uh, physical healing is a byproduct of prayer and specifically the prayer of faith. But listen to this. The effect, this is the second part of James 5.16. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much or brings forth many wonderful results. I love it in the Amplified version. I'm actually going to pull that up on my phone right now because on the Amplified version, he really amplifies things. So James chapter 5, verse 16 in the Amplified version. The Amplified version of the Bible is very interesting. It's very good. It's a very good tool and resource for study because it brings out 
uh, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew meaning or different meanings and um, diverse meanings of what a word could be. And in the New Testament, the Greek meanings. So it really pulls out in English, in the English translations, we just, you know, they, they've did, done the best they could do to uh, translate it in one single word. In the Amplified, oftentimes you'll see three or four different words tied to it that give you a better picture as to what the author was trying to say. So in James chapter 5, verse 16, this is what the Amplified says. The earnest, heartfelt, and continued, persistent prayer of a righteous man makes, get this, tremendous power available, and it is dynamic in its working. The earnest, heartfelt, it's important, and I'm going to stop. This is not part of the points that I've written down, but it's a bonus point. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer. The Amplified brings out that word heartfelt because if your prayer is just mentally being given, that's why I can't stand when people say our thoughts and prayers are with you. That's why I don't believe in the whole notion of you can, you can pray in your mind alone. I don't believe you can do that. I think you can worship in your mind and in your heart. You can always be in a state of worship. But in prayer, prayer must be vocalized for it to be biblically authentic. For prayer to be biblically authentic, it must be vocalized. There has to be a voice. There has to be an expression of that which is stemming forth from your heart. When Hannah prayed for a child... The Bible says her lips were moving. If your lips are not moving, I'm not saying you have to yell tremendously. I'm not saying the decibel level has to be like a, a, a kid rock concert. I'm saying that your lips must be moving and it must stem forth from your heart. Eli the prophet saw Hannah praying for a child and he thought that she was drunk. Said it's the ninth hour of the day. Put away wine from you, you wicked woman. She said, no, my, my, my Lord, I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring out my heart before the Lord. That's what fasting does. It actually intensifies your prayer life. It actually brings vigor to your prayer life it actually cranks up the intensity volume of your prayer life if you have found your prayer life to be dull and boring and kind of mundane try putting try fasting try taking a day or two to fast join us on this 21 day fast and see how you'll go to a whole new level with god in your prayer life remember the effective, fervent prayer, the heartfelt, continued, fervent prayer. There has to be a level of fervency in your prayer. There's some people I can tell, you know, you go to a prayer meeting, you can tell who prays in, in, in private and who doesn't pray in private based on the fervency of their prayer. Based on, there should be a pressure that's rising up from your spirit when you pray. There should be a pressing. You know, Paul said, I press towards the, the prize. There should be a pressing in your spirit. There should be something that's felt that the room that you're praying in, people that are there can feel that same pressing. There should be an urgency. There should be a fiery burning desire that is manifesting as you pray it should you know the bible says in hebrews chapter 5 and i'm going to read it because i don't think some people believe this is actually in the bible but you know that hebrews the writer of hebrews gives us insight as to how jesus prayed he actually shows us the level of 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 zeal jesus used while praying hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 Let's start at verse 6. He says, in another place, you are priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek, speaking of Jesus. And listen to this, verse 7. Who? Who's, who are they speaking of? Jesus. Who in the days of his flesh, 
while he was on the earth. And his disciples, no wonder his disciples said, teach us to pray. Look at how the Bible says Jesus prayed. When he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his godly fear. The Bible says Jesus offered up prayers with vehement cries and tears. I'm actually interested to see what Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 is rendered in the Amplified Translation. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up definite special petitions for that which he not only wanted but needed and supplications with strong crying and tears to him who was always able to save him out of death and he was heard because of his reverence towards God his godly fear his piety in that he shrank from the horrors of separation from the bright presence of the father but zoning on this his supplications came with strong crying there was a a a level of passion that Jesus exerted from his spirit when he prayed. So much so that the disciples noted, this guy doesn't pray like the Pharisees pray. This guy doesn't pray like I've seen even other people pray in the synagogue. This guy prays differently. Teach us to pray. You know, the fact that the disciples said, teach us to pray, and Jesus didn't say, oh, no, no, it's just what comes out of your heart. That's what matters. Jesus replied and actually gave us a structure for praying in Luke chapter 11. You should pray like this, Jesus said. That means there's a, there's a way to pray right, and there's a way to pray amiss. There's a way to pray correctly, and there's a way to pray incorrectly. Just like there's a way to drive correctly, and there's a way to drive incorrectly. There's a way to bake and cook correctly and there's a way to cook incorrectly there's people who are phenomenal cooks they've mastered the art of culinary delight but there's other people who can't even cook basic rice and there's some people in the kitchen you shouldn't even trust with your food because they could under undercook the chicken and end up in a hospital with salmonella poisoning or or e coli or whatever so there's, there's a way to do things correctly and there's a way to do things incorrectly. You know, if you're on a highway and you're driving on the opposite side of, of traffic and incoming traffic and the officer pulls you aside and he says, sir, you're driving on the opposite side of the highway and traffic's coming against you. You're doing something illegal. I'm going to have to find you. I'm actually going to have to take you with me and we're going we're gonna to put you behind bars for this. And you just looked at him and said, well, officer, you have to understand my heart. I have great intentions in everything that I'm doing. I actually, you know, if you would just see my heart that I'm guilt free in this, you know, I really just felt like this was the right thing to do. The officer is going to think you're a crazy lunatic and throw you in the loony bin because it doesn't matter what heart you have. If you're not doing it properly, you're going to get thrown behind bars. And oftentimes people stay in the prison cell of unanswered prayers, not because they don't have good intentions or a good heart. You must have a good, that is the base foundation of answered prayers. Your heart, your motives must be pure. But beyond purity of motives, there is a biblical blueprint for pr successful prayer life. There is a biblical, uh, there are biblical guidelines that will lead you to a successful prayer life. James chapter four actually says this. Let me read this. James chapter four in verse 1, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and don't have. You murder and covet and can't obtain. You fight in war. Yet you do not have 
because you do not ask. How many of you have unspoken prayer requests? There's no such thing. There's no such thing as an unspoken prayer request. You have to voice your prayer request. Philippians chapter 4 says that you are to make your request known to God. Make your request known to God. But doesn't he know everything? Yes, but even in his state of all of omniscience, where he knows everything, he still desires for you to voice it because when you voice it out, it's a sign that you're actually believing him for the fulfillment of that stuff. So he says you don't have because you don't ask. Any prayer you don't pray, any desire in your heart that you do not vocalize in prayer is a guarantee that you never receive that thing. Just like Wayne Gretzky used to say concerning hockey, you'll miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You will receive zero 100% of the time in the prayers you don't make. You must pray. I want you to put that in the comment section. I must pray. I must pray. When you pray, Jesus said. We talked about when you fast the other day. Well, when you pray, Matthew chapter 6, verse 4 and onwards. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who all they do is pray publicly. There's some people who the only time they pray is when they have a mic in church praying. And you can tell it's the only time they pray because they're a little rough and rusty and uh, harsh around the edges. But there's some people, the only time they pray is when they're in church, Sunday morning. It's the only time they pray. Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. Have a private devotional life. And he said, your father, who is in the secret place, when you go to the secret place, shut the door behind you and pray, your father who sees that which is done in secret will himself reward you openly. Prayer carries an open reward. Verse three, you ask and you don't receive. So then there's a class of people who do ask, but they don't receive. Why? Because you ask amiss, or you ask incorrectly, or you ask wrongly. Perhaps it's wrong motives. Perhaps there's no faith behind that prayer. Perhaps it's something else. Nevertheless, James says there are people who do pray, but they don't receive, not because God's not willing to give. It's because they ask amiss that they may spend it on their own pleasures. So let's go through. I've written down here five Five fail-proof ways to pray so that you receive 100% answered prayers. Before I do that, I want to read this. This is going to encourage you. Psalm 115. As I was studying earlier, this is the scripture that popped into my spirit. I want to paint an accurate picture uh, regarding the God that you are praying to. You're not praying to a stone. You're not praying to a rock. You're not praying to a golden statue. You're not praying to a ceiling. You're not praying to a tree. You are praying to a living God. Get that in your head. Get that in your heart, rather. You're not praying to some unknowable force, some universe. You know, so I'm just praying to the universe. You're not praying to a universe. We're not weird people. We are praying to a personal God who the Bible says you should call him Father if you're in Christ. So he's not just personable and knowable, he's family. You're praying to God the Father. You should pray like this, Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven. He says who art in heaven because Jesus was saying he's the most high God. He doesn't dwell on the earth. 
You can't contain him to the earth. He dwells beyond the earth. He dwells above the heavens. The Bible says in the third heavens, he's El Elyon, one of his names, the most high God. This is what the psalmist writes of him in verse three. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes they have, but they don't see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they don't handle. Feet they have, but they don't walk. Nor do they mother through their throat. So those who make them are like them. So is everyone who puts their trust in them. Talking about idols. Our, O Israel, trust in the Lord. For he is their help and their shield. Hallelujah. So this, the psalmist is, is delivering a message here. Uh, admonishing the reader that when you pray, quit thinking you're praying to an idol. He's not an idol that has eyes but can't see what you're going through. He sees what you're going through. And more than that, he has ears, not like a deaf and mute idol that can't hear or say anything. He has ears that the Bible says are open to the cries of the righteous. I want you to write this down in the comment section. God hears me when I pray. God hears me when I pray. That's right. That's a lot of people who don't believe that. There's a, and you can tell by the way they pray. You can tell by the way they pray that they don't really believe God hears them when they pray. When I pray, I pray as if God was in the room with me. Matter of fact, I actually like to do this. I envision myself bowing, kneeling down at the throne of God. And the Father is on the throne, Jesus at the right hand. And I'm kneeling down. And as I pray, though I'm walking in my room, maybe I'm walking back and forth, maybe I'm outside taking a walk in the neighborhood, whatever. In my spirit, I visualize myself as being kneeled down at the throne room of God and I have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him without hindrance, without any obstacle, without anything blocking my words from hitting his ears. The Bible says that we can draw near with a true assurance of faith because we've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus gave us righteousness before God, which allows us to have audience with God. By the blood, the Bible says, therefore, brethren, by the blood of Jesus, we have boldness to enter in the throne room of heaven. I have boldness. I don't pray shy, cowardly, timid, neutered prayers. I pray boldly. Not because of any works that I've done. Because my righteousness is not based on whether I had a good week or a bad week. My righteousness is not based whether uh, I, I've, I've given a certain amount of money or not. My righteousness is based on nothing else but the blood of Jesus Christ. So whether I feel moody, emotional one day or not. Whether I'm in a good mood or not. Whether I'm irritable because of a fast and I've not eaten or not, it matters not. What matters most is that I've got the passport that gives me free access into heaven and that passport's been signed and stamped with the blood of the spotless lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And I've put on his righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus now. So I have audience with this God. And when I pray, you know, 
The scripture says, I think I need to hit on this, because the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah 59, is God's arm shortened so that it cannot save? Or is his ear deaf so that it cannot hear? He says, no, but your own sins and iniquity have separated you from God. Sin separated us from God. If you're in active sin right now, you are separated from God. If you are engaged in a lifestyle of habitual sin, you are separated from God. If you live in unrepented sin, you are separated from God. And there's nothing, even if you confess the blood of Jesus, if you do not repent and you continually engage in a lifestyle of sin, you are separated from God. Jesus said, he that has my word and keeps it is the one who loves me and knows me and I'll love him and show myself to him. So if you're engaged in a life of sin, you're separated from God. However, if you have come to Christ, repented from sin, turned to God in humility and faith and have put your faith in what Jesus did at the cross and you are now actively pursuing holiness in your life, then you are no longer a sinner. You've been saved by grace. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There is now nothing that separates you from God. If you've put sin out of your life, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that we know that he answers us because we now keep his commandments and we're doing those things which are pleasing in his sight. So there, but this is the problem. There are some people who are actively pursuing holiness, who are righteous, who've turned from sin, but they have a guilt conscious. They have a sin consciousness. They haven't actually believed the effect that the blood of Jesus has had on them in that not only has it removed your sin from God's record kept in heaven, but God has buried it in a sea of forgetfulness never to be remembered again. Your sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. He's given you his righteousness. He has taken your sin when he bore it on that cross. So when people carry a sin consciousness, their prayer life is limited because they think, well, I wasn't good enough this week. I don't know if God's going to answer me. Or I didn't give enough money this week. I don't know if God's going to answer me. Let me make this very clear to you, my brothers and my sisters. God answering your prayers has nothing to do, nothing to do with how much money you give, with what you went through this week, how you feel today. God answering your prayers has everything to do with what Jesus accomplished for us at the cross when his blood was shed, his blood was shed for you and I. Answered prayer begins with understanding I'm righteous before God. So when you have that in mind, now you're not approaching God shy and timidly. You're approaching God with boldness in your spirit. And then I just read, you're not approaching a lifeless God. You're approaching a God who has eyes to see, ears to hear, has hands to actually do something in your situation. I love this story I was reading before, Dag Heward Mill's book. Uh, it's a book that he wrote on prayer. And he tells the story of a friend of his who was out in about 100 kilometers in the surrounding regions of Accra, Ghana. And as he was, um, he was just walking in a street, he suddenly had an urge to urinate and he couldn't hold it in. And he had to pee real bad. How many of you have been there? And there was no bathroom in sight. And so he 
with every effort he could to restrain himself, he could no longer do it. His bladder was going to pop. He pulled off to the side of the road and he got into an open field and he began to urinate on this rock. And there were people behind him that were in like the city marketplace or whatever. And they, they, they came to him and they started to yell at him. And so he's like, what the heck's going on behind me? So he finishes up doing what he had to do. He zips up, turns around, and he says, what are you guys yelling for? And they were yelling at him, scolding him, screaming at him. They were raising their fists at him, and they were shouting, you're peeing on our God. Uh, That rock, that stone is our God, and you've just peed on him and desecrated him for us. And he just apologized, laughed, and went away. But I find it interesting that if that stone were de- deity and that stone were truly divine, wouldn't it want to say something about a man urinating on it? There's a lot of people, you go to some Asian restaurants, they have that little Buddha sitting at the front of the, 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 the shop and it's turned towards, uh, I think they turn it towards the entrance and it's supposed to give good vibes and good energy or whatever. But isn't it interesting that they have to put rice before the Buddha and they have to put like a, an orange or a tangerine before the Buddha to feed the Buddha or else the Buddha won't sustain itself. That there's always these idols that men have fashioned for themselves. It's always the person, the human that's helping the idol and never the other way around. You go to India, they got like 300 million different gods and it's always the people. There was a, there's a temple in India you can go to and they have temple guards and they're guarding the idol. They're guarding the 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 image, the statue that they've set up. You have to have people guard your God, then it's time to reconsider the God that you serve. I don't guard my God. My God guards me. Hallelujah. So you got to make up your mind today. Either God is real or he is not. Either God is dead or he is alive. Either God can hear you when you pray or he's deaf and can't hear you. Either God is love and wants to help you and answer your prayers or he is hate and he doesn't care for you you must decide whether god is omnipotent and nothing is impossible for him or he is weak and nothing is possible for him make up your mind today don't be double-minded or unstable james says when you pray you should pray with faith not doubting anything for he that doubts is like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro let not that man expect to receive anything from the lord Let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. The Bible says there's a category of people in church that shouldn't expect anything from the Lord because they're double-minded people. Don't be double-minded. I said it before. Either God is alive and is love and he can hear you and nothing's impossible for him or God is dead, he's deaf, he's an idol, he's no good and he's weak And he's limited in what he can accomplish for you. Make up your mind. I choose to go with what the Bible says. God is the God of all flesh. And the scripture says there is nothing that's difficult for him. Matter of fact, he told Sarah when he had told Abraham, Abraham, this time next year you'll have a child. Sarah laughed. And God said, did you laugh, Sarah? She said, no, I didn't. But God said, yes, but you did. And he said, is anything, he asked Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? What are your expectations set to? Are your expectations set to reality? Got to be realistic. Quit. I hate that in the church. We got to be realistic. No, we don't. We don't have, we have to be faith people. And faith doesn't deal with just what's accomplishable in the flesh. Faith deals with what's accomplishable by the hand of God. 
You got to be realistic in what you ask God, you know. Realistic as in what? Realistic as in what a man can do? The help of man is useless. The help of man is limited. The help of man is confined to the, the, the strength of his arm. I'm, re- I'm going to pray realistic prayers, but my realism is in light of God's omnipotency. My realistic prayers will be in light of God's ability. My realistic prayers are going to be in light of what God can do and not what man can do. Stop praying prayers that insult God. I'm going in a different direction today, but I feel this in my spirit. Stop praying prayers that insult God. Well, God, I don't need you to do this, but if you could just only do this. As if like, as if God in heaven is is complaining whenever somebody asks him for something. First of all, I've said this often in regards to prayer, and I want to say it again. God would not have invited you to pray unless he was eager and desire to answer your prayers. God would never have invited you to pray unless he had a desire to answer your prayers. Why would he say pray? Unless he he wanted to do something about what you're praying for. Why would he say ask unless he had a desire to have you receive? Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. He's able to do what? Bare minimum? No. He's able to do above, exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That means if you have the ability to ask it, he has the ability to do it. If you have the ability to think it, he has the ability to perform it. Hallelujah. If you have the ability to read it in his word, he has the ability to accomplish it. That's what Jeremiah had insight on in Jeremiah chapter 1. Listen to this. Jeremiah, the first chapter, and... I'll read in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah answered, I see a branch of an almond tree. The Lord said to him, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. You have seen well, and I am now ready to perform my word, or I will hasten my word unto you. Hasten means to quicken its performance in your life. God asked Jeremiah, What are you seeing? I talked about before, fasting and prayer allows you to see things in the Word of God that you might not have seen before. Well, when you study the Word, what are you seeing? Because as far as your eye can see in this Word, that's as far as you'll go in life. God said, what have you seen? He said, I see the branch of an almond tree. You've seen well, I'll now hasten that Word in your life. I'll now perform that thing in your life. What do you see in the Word? What is your expectation set for in this fast? What have you seen from God's word that you have an expectation built up in you to receive that thing from the hand of God? Have you seen healing in the word of God? Because unless you see healing in this book, you're not going to see healing in your life. Because faith begins where the will and word of God is known, believed, and acted upon. Do you see healing in this book? If you don't, let me enlighten you. 
He said, I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth thee. And I'll put none of the diseases which have come upon the Egyptians on you. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. Jeremiah says, I'll bring you health and a cure. And I'll reveal unto you the abundance of truth and peace. I'll bring you health and a cure. Jesus said to the leper when he asked him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I am willing to heal you. And he touched and healed him. Do you see healing in this book? As far as your eye can see, that's as far as you'll go. Have you seen healing? Because when you see it in the book, that's when God hastens his word to perform it. That's when it quickens. It, act, it comes to life in, your, in your, your own very life. Do you see provision and prosperity in this book? Or do you only read that life's just going to be a life of poverty and struggle, always begging, always having your hand out for hand-me-downs, always looking for a lift to church, always looking for rent money, always looking... Does this book paint you as a beggar, a glorified beggar? Or does this book not say that you're a royal priesthood? Does this book not say that God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory? What's your expectation set out for in this fast? Are you believing God to take you to another level financially where you're not only just making ends, not making ends meet anymore, where you've come into a level of prosperity where you're able to meet the needs of your lost and dying generation. Where when people are saying, I have need of this, you're not saying, well, I'll keep you in prayer. But you actually have financial empowerment from heaven to meet that need. Hallelujah. Have you seen that in the book? Are you expecting God to break you out of anxiety disorder and you're looking for peace? Have you seen peace in this book? As far as your eye can see, that's what God will give you. Have you seen that Jesus said, I am the Prince of Peace? Have you seen that the Bible says, those who keep their eyes fixed on me, I will keep in perfect peace? Have you seen that Jesus said in John 14, 27, my peace give I unto thee, not as the world gives. Therefore, the world can't take it from you, for the world didn't give it to you. Have you seen that the Bible says the peace of God will guard your heart and mind, which surpasses all understanding, and it will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus? Have you seen that God told Moses, my presence will go with you, and you will find peace and rest? Have you seen that great peace have they that love his law, and nothing makes them to stumble? You have to see it. I know they say you, we believe it without seeing it. You know, some people need to see to believe we believe it without seeing, and I agree. I'm not looking to see it manifest before I believe it. I'm looking to see it evident in the word of God. You know, Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read this in the Amplified Version. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Listen to how Hebrews defines faith as. Now, faith is the assurance. The assurance. Faith is not, I don't know how it's going to turn out. Just believing for the best. Faith is the assurance. What's assurance? I know. Faith, how many of you know, amen, that faith is leaping into the unknown? Faith is just leaping into the unknown. This is what I have to say about that. That's what I have to say about that. Faith is not leaping into the unknown. Faith is having comprehensive knowledge of what God has said in his word. Believing it in your heart, confessing it with your mouth, and acting on it. 
doing that which is your responsibility to do to trigger that thing off. Faith is the assurance. Once you've done your thing, your thing to do, you now have an assurance. Abraham, depart from your family. I'm going to bless you. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He's 90 years old, 100 years old, no kid yet. And God shows up to him and says, this time next year, you're going to have a child. He believes it. Romans 4 says that Abraham did not waver in faith. He wasn't an up and down and all around Christian. Abraham did not waver in faith, but he grew strong in faith. Why? Fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Are you fully persuaded? You know, in the, I think it's in the New King James Version, it says faith is the conviction of the things not yet seen. The conviction. You know when you feel convicted because you did something or said something you shouldn't have done or shouldn't have said? You feel that conviction, it weighed in on you. You know that you did wrong. Well, there's bad conviction. There's like, conv not bad conviction, it's all good conviction, but there's a conviction that reveals something you did wrong. But there's also a good conviction that can come to you. A conviction of the reality of those things listed in the word of God. I'm convicted that God is a healer. Hallelujah. Oh man, I feel the unction so strong on that. I'm convicted that God is a blesser. I'm convicted that God is love. I'm convicted that God answers prayer. I'm convicted that he is a God of peace and joy. I'm convicted that God can do all things and nothing is impossible for him. I'm convicted. I carry a deep-rooted, fundamental conviction of the reality of who God said he was in the scripture. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without the conviction of faith, it's impossible to please God. It doesn't say without love, it's impossible to please God. It doesn't say without holiness, it's impossible to please God. I'm not saying love and holiness are bad things. They are very good things and they are crucial, especially in making heaven. But is it an interesting that the writer of Hebrews says it's without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because he who comes to God, what are we doing in fasting and prayer? We're drawing near to God. He who comes to God must have these two things at the forefront of his mind and in his heart. That he is, that God is. What does that mean? Not just that he exists. Demons believe he exists. They're not blessed. It's that he is who he says he is. We're convicted that what God said he was in the Bible and what he's done, the revelation of who he is, is found in what he's done. We're convicted that he is who he says he is and what he said he will do, he will do. Faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God, but he that comes to God must believe that he is who he says he is. Do you believe that God is who he says he is? I don't mean just saying the right words. I don't mean just confessing, yeah, we, amen, Jesus is healer. There's a lot of people who amen statements in church, but they are not convicted of the reality of that. Man, I feel like drilling this point in for the duration of this broadcast. I want to drill this into you. He is who he says he is. I'm not a man that I should lie, God said. He didn't lie about his nature. He didn't lie to get our hopes up about what he said he couldn't do. He said, I'm not a man that I should lie. 
nor am I the son of man that I should change my mind. He hasn't changed. He doesn't fluctuate with the times. I am the Lord God and I change not. Malachi 3.6. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He hasn't changed. And he said, have I not spoken and will I not bring it to pass? Have I not said or commanded a thing and will I not do it or perform it? You read in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be which goes out of my mouth. It shall never return void. It shall accomplish that which I sent it out to prosper in. You read, we read it in Jeremiah 1. I will, I will hasten my word to perform it. I'm ready to perform my word. I'm ready, ready to, show, to show you those things that I've promised you from my word. Are you convicted of that? That's right, Pop-Tart. God is not wishy-washy. He's not up and down. He's not undependable. He's not a, a, a fruit flake and nut Christian that you can't depend on. There, you might have had parents. Maybe you had a close friend that was undependable and you, you couldn't rely on them for anything. God's not unreliable. God is reliable. He's reliable. So faith is the assurance. Based on all that, we now know that faith, we can be assured in our faith. Faith doesn't look like this. I don't know what I'm going to do. That's not what faith looks. If you look like that, you're not in faith. Faith doesn't look like this. That doesn't look like faith. Faith actually has a look. Jesus saw their faith. Paul saw that the man at Lystra had faith to be healed. There's, there's, there's something you can see when someone has faith. There's like a, a glow on them. Moses coming down from the mountain glowed. There's that same glow when you're in faith. The Bible says, he that believes will not be, be hasty. He won't be running around helter-skelter like a chicken without its head. They're not complaining people. The Bible says, may the God of all peace or all hope fill you with joy and peace as you believe. When you believe, joy and peace will fill your heart. There'll be joy, a real joy. There'll be peace, a real peace. There's an assurance. There's a confidence. Faith is the assurance, the confirmation. Confirmation. Hallelujah. The title deed. This is what I wanted to get to. Faith is the title deed of the things we hope for. What's a title deed for? Well, in the natural order of things, you get a title deed for a house or for a car. When you buy land, they'll give you a title deed that shows, that shows that you own such and such square footage in that area. It's confirmation that that land, that house, that car is your possession. You own it. It belongs to you. So faith is the title deed of the things we hope for. So it's one thing to hope for something. Hope is good. Hope paints the the picture of what you desire. Hope is another word for desire. I desire this. While I fast and pray for these 21 days, I desire this to happen. But desire alone doesn't get things accomplished. The Bible actually says hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope can be deferred. Hope can be prolonged. People can hope their entire life and it actually makes the heart sick. It weighs people down because hope by itself is not good enough to get it done. Jesus didn't say to the woman with the issue of blood, daughter, thy, thy hope has made thee whole. Jesus didn't say to the two blind men that came to him, do you hope that I'm able to do this? He said, do you believe? 
And when he touched their eyes, he said, As you have hoped, so be it unto No, as you have believed, so be, it, so be it unto you. When that woman cracked the alabaster flask of oil and put it on Jesus' feet and anointed his feet, he looked to her and said, Daughter, thy faith has saved you. We're not saved by hope through grace. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And so if all you have is hope, you have half of the equation. You need hope and faith to come together to acquire that which you're believing for. And hope is a good thing. You should have hope. But faith is what reaches into the unseen realm of hope and pulls that thing down into reality. Faith is the assurance, the title deed. So what's the, what is faith? Where does faith come from? Gives you a good understanding as to what is faith. Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10 verse 17. So what is faith? Faith is knowledge of God's word. Knowledge and trust in God's word. So with that being said, Hebrews 11 says, now faith is. So instead of using faith, let's just entertain me for a second. Now the word of God is. Since faith is built on the word of God and your faith cannot go beyond your actual knowledge of God's word, we can interchangeably use the word of God for faith. So let's use it this way. Now the word of God is the title deed of those things we're hoping for. Are you getting what I'm saying here? Well, I'm hoping to be healed. I'm not hoping. I've got the title deed. The word of God says he is my healer and by his stripes I'm healed. I've got the title deed. Those things, what does the title deed show us? It shows us what already belongs to us. The word of God shows us what's already in our possession. Already in our possession. It already belongs to us. It's not something I've got to beg for. It's something I simply have to pray the prayer of faith to receive. What's the prayer of faith? The prayer of faith is not, God, I need this. God, can you give me this? God, I need that. We're going to talk about the prayer of request tomorrow. I was going to do it today, but I went in the direction of the prayer of faith today. We're going to do that. But tomorrow we'll talk about the prayer of request. But the prayer of faith, you, you know, you don't actually have to pray. You don't actually have to. Now get this. Uh... Understand this clearly. I'm not saying that you don't pray for healing. I'm saying the way we pray for healing is different than what most people have been taught. Most people have been taught that when we pray for healing, we should have this begging session where we're trying to twist God's arm into doing and performing healing in our body. That's not what, how we're to pray for healing. In the New Testament, James 5 says, the prayer of faith will save the sick. What is the prayer of faith? I just briefly gave you insight on that. Now, the word of God is the title deed of those things we're hoping for. You're hoping to be healed. The word of God is the title deed. It shows you that healing belongs to you. So what is the prayer of faith? It's lifting up your hands now in light of that information and saying, Father, I thank you that healing is the children's bread. I thank you that I'm not asking for healing. I'm looking back to the healing released when the stripes were laid on Jesus' back that the power of God was released from that blood to bring me physical healing today. That's what the prayer of faith is. That's what believing God looks like. There's a lot of people who are saying, I'm believing for, believing for breakthrough, believing for this. 
I'm not believing for those things. I believe the word of God is the title deed. I believe those things already belong to me. I've got the title deed. If you can locate the thing in this book, it's yours already. It's yours already. Just like salvation. Did you have to beg God to be saved? No. All you had to do was open up your hands, lift up your heart, and say, God, I thank you that by the blood of Jesus, I am saved. My sins are forgiven. I receive salvation today. I confess Jesus is Lord over my life. You didn't have to beg. You didn't have to plead with him. You just had to receive it. In the same vein, just like God promised us salvation in this book, he promised us a bunch of other things. If you can locate it, look, look at this. I'll finish with this. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John, and then we'll pick up tomorrow. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. Now this is the confidence. See, every time the, the writers of the scripture, every time moved by the Spirit, they begin to write and refer to prayer. It's never, never in uncertain terms. It's always, there's always the words confidence, confirmation, title deed, proof, conviction, assurance. Every time the Bible talks about prayer, it's always in strong, definite terms. Assurance, confirmation. Never lose heart. Af uh, uh, confidence. Proof. Now this is the confidence. Talking about prayer here. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will. Well, where is God's will known? In His Word. God's Word is God's will in print. God's Word is God's will in print. I want you to write that in the comment section. God's word is God's will in print. God's word is God's will in print. If we ask anything according to his word, his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, so if I'm praying something that I've located in this Bible, then I know he hears me. And if I know that he hears me, then I know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. If we know that he hears us, which we know he does if we're praying according to his word, then we know that we have the petition of what we're asking for. That's why when I pray for open doors in the ministry, I know that I have. I know that it's already, it, it's, I know it's on the way. I know doors are, I'll give you a testimony. This happened this week during this fast. I'm believing God for God to open up doors to minister and preach live services week long, Sunday through Friday, because you can't do much in a day. You can't do much in three days. You, it, it, what we need to do in, these, in this day and age in America and Canada and abroad, we need to have meetings that dig deep, that actually have enough spiritual power packed into it that it breaks chains. You can't break chains in a community with a three-day meeting. You can't break chains in a community with a one day, Sunday morning, Sunday. I can't stand it. You have pastors, and I'm not going to pick on pastors only because there are evangelists who do this too, but there's Christian preachers, leaders in the church that all they do is Sunday morning, Sunday night, and they just pray, God, break the chains in this community. Yeah, it ain't going to happen. Paul stayed two whole years at Ephesus before things started to happen in the city of Ephesus and revival broke out. You think... He had to do two years, and you think your just nice little cute Sunday morning service is going to do it? Ain't going to do nothing. Then you have uh, churches that have an evangelist 
and they just want to have a Sunday morning, Sunday night service. What are you going to do? What's the point? What are we doing? So that, you know, a few people are helped here and there. You're praying for revival in your city and you want an evangelist to come in for a day and you're believing for an awakening in your nation to happen in one day? It doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way at all. Paul preached two years at Ephesus, day and night. The Bible says, if you read the Amplified, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. he preached. And it wasn't until after two years that God began to work extraordinary miracles. Are we better than Paul? No, certainly not. We're on the same level Paul was on. Jesus preached three and a half years before he started to make real impact to the point where they killed him because they were threatened by him. Daily meetings he was having. So we we have to get back to that. So I'm praying and believing God for Sunday through Friday meetings. Well, get this. Yesterday, I get a phone call from a pastor out in Saskatchewan who's originally from South Africa. And he calls me and he, he tells me, uh, he asks me if I can come preach for a church that he oversees in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, which was in the news a couple of years back. There was a bus of, uh, of, of t- uh, hockey players that ended up dying. They got into a car crash and it was a big thing. It was awful. And he asked me, can you go and preach in Humboldt, Saskatchewan but I don't want you just to do one day. I want you to stay a whole week. I said, you don't have to convince me. It's what I've been praying for. So I, I told them, I said, you know, this is an answer to prayer, uh, Brother Noel. I said, I've been praying for, for God to open up doors like this. He says, I said, I've been fasting and praying this week, actually. He said, well, that's confirmation to me because I've been fasting and praying on our end. And it, I was on Facebook the other day and I started to get a bunch of notifications out of the blue, but I realized I hadn't posted anything. And so he went into what what was receiving all these notifications and it was a video him and I did two or three years ago at a church. He interviewed me on my testimony and for some reason it popped up in his memories and people started to like it and it like took ground and began to have traction again. And so I was in his mind. A day later, this pastor from Humboldt, Saskatchewan calls him and says, Pastor, he's their apostle. He says, Apostle, can you please send an evangelist to this church? We need to have revival and we need to have it this summer. We want to have a week-long meeting. So I'm praying in Montreal. He's in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, praying and fasting. A video pops up on his feed that we had done years ago. I'm fresh in his memory. A day later, a pastor from Humboldt, Saskatchewan calls him and says, we need an evangelist. I'm fresh on his mind. Do you think that was natural? That was supernatural. Hallelujah. There's no coincidence when you pray. There's only cause and effect. Cause and effect. So I believe God for open doors and I have a scripture to stand on. I've been praying, great and effective doors be opened unto me. Lord, you hold the key of David. You open and no man can shut. You shut and no man can open. Open up doors for me. See this, now understand this. This is my field. You might not be a minister watching. Majority of you are probably not ministers. But you're believing God for an open door in your job, your business, your career. You're believing God for an open door for uh, whatever, business contracts, real estate. You're believing God for contracts and clients to come your way. The same way God, Jesus holds the key of David, who opens up doors of ministry for me. He can open up doors of opportunity for business and career and promotion for you. Great and effective ones. The Bible says he can open up double doors to you and the gate will not be shut. 
I'm believing God. I'm praying right now. I'm going to pray for everyone. I feel to end on this. You're believing God for open doors. God is the God of open doors. There's actually a covenant God made to guarantee open doors for his children. In Isaiah chapter 45, this has been on my spirit throughout this fast. Isaiah chapter 45, thus says the Lord to his anointed, you're anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I've held, to subdue nations before him, to loose the armor of kings, to open up before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you. I'll make the crooked places straight. I'll break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. Hallelujah. I'll go before you and make the crooked places straight. I'll break in pieces the gates of bronze. Anything that's been holding back your progress in life, God is going before you, making every crooked place straight and will break in pieces the gates of bronze. I see double doors coming your way this year in Jesus' name. Before this fast is over, you will receive phone calls from people that just felt, felt impressed in their spirit to call you and offer up opportunities, jobs, and job opportunities, career opportunities that you're not even qualified for. God will give you supernatural favor in the sight of your employer. That even those who are more qualified and maybe even have a more seniority than you do, they will be stepped aside to get to you in Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus Christ. The double doors. I'll open up before him the double doors. Th this year will be a year of double doors being opened to you. Out of nowhere, unprecedented places. Things that you'll scratch your head and say, how did that even happen? I mean, think of it. I'm praying in Montreal, this guy in Saskatoon, this pastor in Saskatoon has this video pop up. I mean, it's supernaturally orchestrated. God is going to orchestrate way things this year in a way so powerful that you'll just stand back. It'll be the Lord's doing and it'll just be marvelous in your sight. Just like he said, dig this valley full of ditches. And though you see no rain and though you see no clouds, yet it shall be filled with water. Do your part. Be excellent. Be diligent. Don't be lazy. Do what God's told you to do at a, at an excellent, in an excellent manner. Make this valley full of ditches. And he said, though you see no rain and though you see no water, God's going to fill it. You do your part. You fulfill your, smart, your small part to play and God will do what only he can do. Moses was told just to take the rod and wave it over the sea and God said, I'll split the sea. The Israelites were told, march around Jericho's wall seven times. I'll take the walls down. God says, be excellent, be diligent. Don't be lazy, don't be slothful. Follow my instructions, be obedient and I'll open up before you the double doors. Double doors, hallelujah, hallelujah. I, I, I'm believing, and this came to me in December, and I don't know if I've shared it yet, but this year, for this ministry, and I believe for those tied to this ministry, is gonna be a year of divine acceleration where we're gonna move with divine speed, that the plowman will overtake the, the reaper and the treader of grain, him that sows seed, that before we even have time to celebrate one door opening, another door will already open. Hallelujah. Oh, man, I feel the unction so strong. Before we have time to celebrate one door opening, another door will, will be bursting open, barged open. There's no door that can stand the pressure. Look, 
Stop looking to men. I, I, I feel to tell this to some people today. Stop looking to men. Quit looking for opportunities. If I can just network with that guy. There's so many evangelists in my field, I can tell you, there's so many evangelists that are, if I could just preach at that church, then I'll be, I'll have a platform large enough, people will hear about me, I'll be able to blah, 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 blah. If I can just get into that circle with that pastor and I can just get him my number. Here's, you have some evangelists, they go to ministers' conferences and they have a pack full of cards and they're just having, handing cards out to every minister that they know. You do things that way, I'm not saying it's sin. I'm just saying you're going to have to handle everything yourself. You do things God's way, it's like a deluge. It's like a flood. It's just, it's just going to come take you away. It's a wave that you catch. It carries you. You do things your way. You try and promote yourself and you try and open up your own doors. You'll have to carry yourself. You'll have to endure yourself. You'll have to persevere yourself. You do things God's way. He'll open up the doors. He'll carry you through. He'll cause you to endure. He'll give you the supernatural strength. To run and not grow weary. To walk and not faint. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. If you're believing God for open doors in whatever respective uh, assignment God's given you. If you're in ministry. If you're in, uh, it's a career. If it's a business. If you're a real estate agent. Whatever it is. I want you just to um, to write I believe in the chat. Write I believe in the chat. I believe. And I'm gonna, we're going to join our faith today. Together. And we're going to believe God. That God by the wind of heaven will blow doors open for you this year. Matthew chapter 18. Awesome. Matthew chapter 18. Praise God. I love seeing that. Matthew chapter 18 verse 19. Again, I say to you, Jesus saying, in reference to prayer, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they may ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. If two of you on earth agree concerning anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. We're agreeing. You put, I believe, that's your agreement, and I'm telling you, I believe with you. I'm believing God for open doors in ministry. You're believing God for open doors in whatever area God's called you to. We're agreeing on this point right now. This is a holy moment. I believe God's attention is on us right now. I really believe that. I believe God is watching us as we are like children expressing our faith. That Just putting I believe. You know, it's foolish to the world. I believe. Oh, all of a sudden doors are going to open. No, it, you're expressing your faith. You're being childlike in faith. The kingdom of heaven belongs to children, to, to ch people that carry childlike faith. What's childlike faith? My son, I'll give you what childlike faith is. My son, uh, we still do this. We used to do this when he was younger and we still do it. But like he'll come into my bed in the morning and I'll look up to the ceiling and I start looking at the stars and I say, oh, you see, that's uh, Orion's belt in the, in the sky. Or oh, look, all the constellations and all that. Oh, do you see? That's Jupiter. Oh, that, and he'll be like, "Oh, wow, Jupiter!" And then, like, you know, we'll have our uh, our, our light, our our main light. That's like a, a rounded thing. And I'll say, "Look, there's the moon. You can see the moon." And he gets so excited, though. There's no moon. There's no constellation. There's no thing. It's just a white ceiling. He's he's excited because he really because he believes he truly sees all those things. 
That's what faith is. Now, obviously, that's, that's, uh, that's all fiction and stuff. We're not believing in fairy tales. We're not believing in on, like, things that are just imaginary. These things are real. I said it yesterday. The spiritual realm is more real than the natural realm. What happens in the spirit is more real. It's eternal. That which is fleshly is temporal. This world is going to be done away with. The eternal world, the spiritual world, will endure forever. It, it, it's more real than this. So we're not just imagining things with our head. I said it before. Faith is the title deed. These things exist. If it's in the Bible, though you might not see it in your life right now, does not mean it doesn't exist. Just because it hasn't manifested does not mean it doesn't exist. It exists. And now by faith, we're going to pull it down into manifestation. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, for those that are watching me right now that have connected with me in agreement in faith, I pray the prayer of faith right now. You said, if any two of you agree concerning anything that they might ask, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. We're asking in faith, knowing that these things already belong to us and understanding that you are faithful who have honored your word above your own name to perform those things which we ask. We have this confidence that what we ask according to your word, we have. We know that you hear us and we know that what you hear us in, we have the requests and the petitions of which we ask for. I thank you that this year, by the end of this fast, as a sign that this year will be a year of extreme opportunity for the people of God connected to this broadcast. I thank you that by the end of this fast, no less than one major break through an opportunity will open up. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus Christ. Father, you said, I have found my anointed Cyrus, who I will open up for him the double doors. I ask you, Lord, open up major, great, and effective doors of opportunity for your people. Doors that cannot be opened by men. Doors that can no man, no matter how great or influential on this earth, would be able to make that happen. Open up that quality of door in Jesus' mighty name. Doors that would lead to maximum impact in Jesus' name. For those that are in the ministry watching, doors that would lead to maximum impact. Souls won, bodies healed, testimonies had in Jesus' mighty name. For those that are believing God for doors opening in the business, doors that would lead to maximum finances, to maximize their time, that no time be wasted in Jesus' mighty name. Doors of opportunity. That which like Shark Tank couldn't even do for a business. Father, would you do? For them, in Jesus' mighty name, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we call it done by faith. We call it done. People that are believing God for a door in their job and promotion and opportunity, just like you did for Joseph. Gave him supernatural favor as a slave in Egypt, and he rose to the top. Anything that would be behind a door that would lead to their promotion, any demonic adversary or opposition that would try to jar that door closed by the wind of heaven blow that door open and every opposition blow off in Jesus mighty name in the name of Jesus Christ we call it done stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter Instagram or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji or visit us online 
www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.